Throughout the nation, problem-solving courts have become the single most successful way of leading people with mental health and substance abuse disorders out of the criminal justice system and into renewed lives of recovery and purpose. Problem-solving courts save lives, families, and futures every day. Instead of viewing addiction as a failing, they view it as a disease. Instead of punishment, they offer treatment and compassion. There are six problem-solving courts in Allen County, Indiana, and their premise is simple. No matter a person's background, the job they hold, or where they live, everyone means something. Every life is worth fighting for and investing in. I'm John McGauley, and on this episode of In Session, we're talking about Allen Superior Court's Family Recovery Court and the life-saving impact it's having in our community. We've taken our podcast on the road today. We're recording on location in courtroom 107 of the Allen County Courthouse to make plenty of room for an interesting group of individuals who are running our newest problem-solving court in Allen Superior Court, and that's our Family Recovery Court. With me are Magistrate Sherry Hartzler, who oversees the program, Keisha Theory, who is the Family Recovery Court Coordinator, and Maya Gerkich, Supervisor with the Indiana Department of Child Services. Greetings, everybody. Thank you. So let's just jump right We do a fascinating amount of work in Allen County with problem-solving courts. These are courts, I think we've got six currently in Allen County. These are courts that do more than just the basics uh, that people see on TV and read about in the newspaper when it comes to administering justice in the community. These are courts that really cut to the reason why people wind up here. In February of 2019, Magistrate Hartzler, you stepped before the cameras and told the community why we were going to launch a family recovery court in this county. Talk about why we did that, why it's so important. Yeah, thank you. In 2012, I would say, the nation experienced what we all coined as the opioid crisis. And I joined the court about 2015. I was previously with the Department of Child Services as an attorney, but when I came back as a judicial officer in 2015, things had changed drastically. We were busting at the seams with CHINS cases, which is the acronym for Children Need a Services Cases Related to Drug Use. And so the Allen Superior Court Division got together and said we had to change the way we were doing business. The traditional model of a CHINS case is a family comes in, the court determines if they are a CHINS case, and then they come back six months later. That model didn't work when we were dealing with folks that were struggling with substance abuse. And so the idea behind Family Recovery Court is that it's a specialized court that assists parents and caregivers who are struggling with substance abuse. And it's the primary objective is to reunify them with their children. And so these are folks that are involved with the Department of Child Services. Their kids maybe are still placed in the home. Their kids maybe are removed. It's a civil court and it's not a a criminal court. Maya, I'd love to know more about the support structure behind the scenes. Who does Family Recovery Court bring in to make sure that parents and caregivers, maybe their grandma and grandpa, maybe their foster parents, have at their disposal to help address the problems that brought them into Chin's Court in the first place? Yeah, definitely. Um Family Recovery Court is different um, in the way that we handle the cases versus regular chintz cases. With Family Recovery Court, we've identified 
three providers that we have on our team. Um, whereas with the regular Chins case, the case managers with DCS have a plethora of providers to choose from. But what makes it different with Family Recovery Court is we have three and those folks are on our team. And with Family Recovery Court, those service providers show up every week. So they're providing us updates on how our participants are doing on a weekly basis instead of every month. Usually we get monthly reports on how someone is doing, but we know with substance use, that immediate information being available to us as a treatment team can help us help these folks. So having that immediate support from the providers and from the case managers really makes all the difference when it comes to substance use. It's, it's much more intimate, I would say. As far as the rest of the support team that our participants get, they get assigned recovery coaches. Um, those people are with them talking to them almost on a daily basis. The communication is much more consistent. Whereas, you know, with regular chins proceedings, the service providers have a lot more client have a lot more clients to tend to. So they may not have that time to reserve for someone that is, you know, suffering from a disorder that takes a lot of support. Some of the differences that I've seen in our clients and our families is because our group is so tight-knit with a smaller support team. I am Keisha Theory, and I just wanted to go off of what uh, Maya said, which is very important, is that substance abuse is a community problem. And so what we really try to do is once the clients move on from Family Recovery Court, we need them to have a support system. And Fort Wayne is rich in support systems, and we are very blessed to have that. We have Project Me with Miss Dish, who comes in and is wonderful and sits in and the audience and the participants afterwards can talk to her. Uh, she is a peer mentor, so she helps with anything that they might need or how to maneuver even through the system, which is really good. We had Nate Mullering come in to talk about the opiates epidemic, and we've had participants understand the importance of Narcan, which is helping to save lives and is very important. And if you have a family member that is uh, has an opiate issue, it is very important that you have that on hand. And I know Project Me has those downtown on their, their building where you can go and just access them. That's very important. And so it really is a community effort. And, and everybody, I think, needs to take a part in it and be supportive because our community, Fort Wayne, is, is a lovely family town. And we want to make sure that it's thriving and everybody's thriving. And that's why this court is so important. That's why this is what we do. I've been in the field of addictions for over 20 years. And addictions doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, who you are. It affects everyone. And so it's very important that we look at it. I know it's it's usually seen as something that's, you know, in the closet. Nobody wants to talk about it. But, you know, what's really amazing is one time I heard that you are more likely, like, we're all CPR trained. We are all trained to help somebody in a cardiac arrest. But you are more likely to come upon somebody who is suffering from mental health issues, from substance abuse, than someone going into cardiac arrest. And then we are not really educated on how do we deal with that? How do we work through that? And it's very important as a community that we shed light on this and that we do what we can. And um, Magistrate Hartzler and the court um, under the direction of Judge Morgan is just amazing. The whole group is just amazing. I mean, they do a lot of work here. And I know um, from the outside, you know, perception is everything. You don't get to see the inner workings, but we truly have a team that cares about people. We truly have a team 
that is invested in saving lives. Magistrate Hartzler, the program is fairly new, uh, February of 2019, and I think you, you became certified by the state that October. But you didn't invent this from scratch. You, you did a lot of work. You went out and saw a lot of best cases, other courts perhaps. And talk about how you built this program. So we talk about the team aspect mm-hmm. local, you know, locally. Um, we have a team statewide as well. Mm-hmm. And so those folks that run family recovery courts are connected. And we serve as supports for each other. We serve as mentors for each other. And so when we started embarking on starting family recovery court here in Allen County, the first place I looked was Grant County. Grant County has what I would consider to be the gold standard when it comes to family recovery courts. So under the direction of Judge Dana Kenworthy, they started their program three years maybe before we started our program. And so she'd been there, she'd done that. She was an incredible resource, an incredible mentor. She just handed us over her her policies, her manuals, her procedures. She invited us down. We went down multiple times to watch her court. She is one of the first people I email when I have an issue. And so it's important, like I said, on the local level to have your team, but it's also important on the statewide level to have your team. I'll also say that, you know, John, you indicated that here in Allen County, we have multiple problem-solving courts. Another person I routinely consult with is Judge Gall, mm-hmm. and she's been running the adult drug court for, for years. Yeah. And so, you know, when I have an issue I don't know how to deal with or I have a question about what's happening maybe in the community, she's one of the first people that I run to, and so she's been an incredible resource as well. Maybe this is a question for you, Maya, from the perspective of Department of Child Services. Maybe this is Magistrate Hartzler. The, the number of Chins cases, if you look at the books, are truly overwhelming. What is it that flags a case for potentially being brought into family recovery court? Well, um, you know, usually a case is flagged at the PI, so the, the preliminary inquiry. So, um, and that's usually the first hearing that the family has when the Department of Child Services files the petition for chins. So whatever judicial officer the family is in front of, if there's a substance use issue mentioned, then that is flagged. And then what happens is our FRC coordinator, Keisha, is notified of that and she meets with the family and there's an assessment that she sits down and she goes through with that family to see if they meet criteria. Um, One of the great things about our program is that it's voluntary. We want people in this program that want to be in this program. So so they have the option if they want to be in it, if they meet you know, the criteria of the assessment that they do. And one of the biggest criteria in that assessment is admitting that you do have a substance use issue because that's one of the biggest steps towards getting help and having that willingness. So, For Keisha, Maya mentioned that you, know, you meet with those families right at the beginning of the process. Talk about that a little bit and, and what tells you that this person would be a fantastic candidate for family recovery court. We've got the real potential here to break the cycle. It's difficult in the beginning because usually when I meet with a family, they have, their children have been removed. And so they're really at the point of what can I do? What can I do to change? What can what can be different? And so for me, seeing them come in and then once they graduate, seeing the difference, that transformation is a beautiful transformation because family recovery court is not an easy thing. I mean, it's, it's if you think about, you know me, I love to eat. 
that's just I love to eat. And if someone said you can never have any more chocolate again, we might have some problems. We are going to have some problems. And so it's really hard for them to work through. And that's something that we really we take our time and we're diligent in understanding. Magistrate Hartzler is wonderful at understanding and talking to the participants like we are not out for punitive measures. Mm -hmm. We are here to help. And you have the services of DCS. And I'm always like, look, you have these services. Use them. Use the services. They can help you. They can guide you on that journey to be where you need to be even though the situation you know that's a horrible thing having your kids taken away it's a horrible feeling uh, we have been known our court to return kids faster because the program is so intense and um, when they make that commitment I have yet to see anyone because at the end I get the evaluations and I usually see people saying why why don't more people know about this why isn't it told in the community because this is a great program because it really is a life-changing program Magistrate Hertzler, one of the things Keisha just mentioned is that this isn't an easy program. Talk about that a little bit. Talk about the stages that people go through, the things that they have to complete before they're eligible to graduate, they can be reunified with their kids. Yeah, it is a, it's a difficult program. Going through any problem-solving court is, is difficult because it's intense. And so in family recovery court, we have three phases. First phase is detoxing from drugs or alcohol, and there's weekly court attendance. So folks are coming every Thursday. In the first phase, they are getting their assessments done, their psychological assessment, their drug and alcohol assessment. They're getting enrolled in community resources, getting set up with their counseling. We have part of the program, which is a financial literacy component mm -hmm. as well. If the kids require services as well, they get the children assessed and involved in whatever services that they need. During that first phase, we are drug screening them multiple times a week. And so they're having a lot of appointments, they're having a lot of things that they need to do. And for somebody that's coming out of that fog of active use, it's pretty overwhelming. And we hear that all the time. They're like, I'm so overwhelmed, you know, there's a lot to do. And what we tell them is that's normal. Now you're starting to think about different things than you thought about when you were actively using. And so for the first phase of the program, it's about 45 days before they can advance to phase two, 45 days of clean screens. Once they achieve all of those milestones of getting their assessments done and getting enrolled in their services and they have a certain amount of time that they have had negative drug screens and they go into phase two. And phase two is education about the substance use, dealing with employment. Does somebody need to get job ready or does somebody need to get on public benefits or whatever it may be specific to that individual. They're developing coping skills, relapse prevention programs. They're still involved in therapy. They're still involved in treatment. All along these folks will be going to 12-step meetings as well. And so that's phase two. Once they complete phase two, then they go into phase three. And phase three is maintenance. This is where they're maintaining their safe, stable, sober housing. They're maintaining their sobriety. And so they're coming to court once a month. And this is when we start to kind of pull back because we are hoping that these folks, once they complete the program, they're going to be able to continue on in their lifeline, lifetime monitoring of their sobriety. So we kind of have to pull back a bit. And so we're watching folks to see, okay, if we're not looking over your shoulder 24 hours a day, are you still doing what you need to do? And for some folks, phase three is the hardest. And so that's something that we've seen quite a bit of. So it's difficult, but what we tell folks is anything worth having is, is hard. On that point, I know that not everybody makes it through this program. There are people who reoffend and come back, but what I want to hear is your favorite success stories so far. I want to I hear that from all three of you. 
Oh boy, uh, I don't have just one. We have a lot. This program, the participants get a lot out of it, but so do we. Seeing those successes and seeing people genuinely change, I think really motivates us to keep showing up to work because it is worth it. As far as success stories, we have participants in the program now that are still, you know, working through the phases and I already consider them a success just based on some of the results that we're seeing. For example, we're seeing some of our participants that have gone inpatient, they are now getting job offers at the places that they've gone inpatient. I mean, come on, it doesn't get better than that. No, it doesn't. That's beautiful, you know, and that is when I know that someone is truly in recovery is when they're giving back. It's the service work. They're they're giving back what they were so freely given through the 12 steps through the program. So we're seeing participants get jobs at the places that they were receiving recovery services. We're seeing participants obviously get reunified with their children and maintaining their household safely. One of the other things that is mind-blowing to me is, you know, in the beginning, they come in and they're embarrassed. Addiction is a very isolating disease. And we recently had participants that relapsed and didn't have a positive drug screen, but they told us. Where else have you seen that happen? I don't think I've ever seen that happen in regular chins proceedings. Those are people um, that want help and exactly, want to succeed. Exactly. It's a light bulb moment for us when we see them do that. So some of the other things that have happened that I think are pretty cool and things that we take for granted, I had a participant say, it feels good to pay my rent. That's amazing. The relationships that they're mending with their families. Mm -hmm. A lot of our participants come in, and like I said, addiction is very isolating, and they're ashamed, and family members have cut them off. And then they're seeing for themselves the changes within their loved ones. Our case managers get text messages and pictures of participants that have graduated that are still keeping in contact. Hey, I'm talking to my mom for the first time in 14 years. I mean, those are all like just triumphs. Mm -hmm. So it's really great to see one of the other success stories that that was very eye-opening to me is we had a former participant that was involved with us through Chin's proceedings in the past and was reunified with her children and ended up coming back and joining FRC. And she had a very tumultuous relationship with the foster parents, didn't trust them, and it was just a very negative relationship. But through her sobriety, the more time she got under her belt, she realized that these folks were not against her. At the end of the case, children were reunified, and the next thing I know, foster parent is inviting them over for barbecues. Foster parent is coming over to mom and dad's house helping with homework. It takes a village, and that is the prime example. And and those are some of the beautiful things that have happened through these people gaining sobriety through the work, the hard work that they put in through our program. Keisha? What about you? You see these families at the beginning of the process, all the way through it, and at the end. I'll bet you've got a favorite story. No, I'm like Maya. I don't have a favorite story because I feel like if you step into the program, you are acknowledging that there is an issue and you want to change your life. Whether you successfully complete the program or not, that acknowledgement is so important. That is the first step. And I I do want to give a shout out to the community because like Maya said, it takes a village to our sobriety meetings. I don't know if I can say specifically what they are, but that community of recovery is so important. I just can't say enough about it because once they leave our program, they need that 
support. And the the thing is, is this morning I was reading because one of the things when a participant wants to phase up to the next level, like from phase two to phase three or one to two, and in her report, like Maya said, the isolation of it, she felt so isolated. And in her report, she said, not even knowing that there was a recovery community that would just embrace us and accept us, like that is everything. That's everything. So shout out to everybody out there who is in the sobriety community, recovery community, um, helping each other hand in hand. I, I really, it's just the more support a person has, the better off they're going to be. Magistrate Hartzler, you preside over this court. The clients have to stand in front of you on a regular basis and talk about what they're doing and what their experience has been so far. Favorite story? If I had to narrow it down to a couple, I'd say that when we first started Family Recovery Court, we had this individual who joined the program. And I remember saying to her, when she was first embarking on phase one. She did something and I said, I'm proud of you. And she started to cry. And I thought, well, why is she crying? And in talking to Maya, it was because nobody had ever told her that they were proud of her. And the same participant one day wanted a picture with me. And I thought, okay, well, I'm no problem. I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty down-to-earth person. I do a lot of handshaking and hugs and things mm-hmm. like that. And so it didn't bother me. Somebody wanted a picture with me. Well, I found out she wanted the picture with me so she could show people that had criticized her that, look, this person thinks I'm worth something. Look at this picture. There's a judge standing next to me. I, I am worth something. And so that was an eye-opening moment about the power of the relationship aspect in family recovery court. And it, it is a family. We, we maintain a professional distance, but at the same time, if these folks don't trust us, then, then we can't get them healthy. I sometimes will see pictures of some of our past participants at recovery events mm-hmm. with their kids. You know, when I see somebody doing something positive, sober in the community with their kids, that's about the biggest success that I can see. Um, another success story is there was, again, when we first started the program, there was this one gal who got involved, and she was she was tough, and she was mad at me. And she told me that <laughs> all the time. And I remember in her graduation speech, she said, you know what, I hated you. You took my kids, you took my drugs, but here I am today and I understand that you weren't just torturing me. You were invested in in my family and in my recovery. And so it's those cases that start out very dark that end up in a a great situation. Those are my, my favorite stories. You know, something you said is a theme that runs through every problem solving court I think I've ever spent time observing. And that authority figure, the person in the black robe at the front of the room is oftentimes the only person who cares about the success or failure of the person standing in front of them. And that that's a motivating factor for, for people that to succeed because they want to impress and, and please that first person who's expressed an interest in them in a very long time. You know, and I'll say that, you know, I'm sitting at the front of the courtroom and they're looking at me, but at the same time, I've got pretty good peripheral vision Mm -hmm. and I'm watching everybody else in the courtroom. I'm watching uh, the coordinator, I'm watching the Department of Child Services, all of the other providers, and so I'm taking a lot of cues from the team Mm -hmm. about how I'm interacting with people. And so that that whole team aspect is so important for me to be successful 
because if they don't trust the team, they're not going to trust me. And again, it's hard to get anybody across the finish line if they don't trust you. So kind of going off the whole idea of the team that we talked about earlier in the podcast, not only do, do we have service providers on the team, Department of Child Services on the team, if you're a parent, you can expect that you're going to get a public defender. The kids are going to be appointed um, what's called a guardian ad litem, somebody to advocate for their best interest. And so it's all encompassing as to what you would need as a parent going through this in the legal mm-hmm. system. Magistrate Hartzler, the program has been in place since February of 2019, uh, was certified by the state in October of 2019, I believe. So you've got some experience under your belt. Talk about the statistics, the, the results so far of Family Recovery Court. So in that time, we've served um, about 67 children. We've served about 61 parents and caregivers in the program. And um, throughout the life of the program, we've had some very good data. Um, We have a retention rate of close to 80%. We have a graduation rate of uh, close to 61%. Uh, We have a recidivism rate, which recidivism means coming back into the system for the same reason they were involved, of 14%. And so that tells us that people are maintaining in the community once they graduate from our program. Um, currently, we have 23 uh, adults in the program. Of those 23 adults, there's a total of 35 children. One of the biggest indicators of success is that in Allen County, in Family Recovery Court, we're able to achieve case closure, which we call wardship termination, 410 days sooner than the regular Chins case. And to me, that's staggering because Family Recovery Court takes only the worst cases. We reserve our resources for those that meet certain criteria that say they have the most severe need. And so for us to be able to achieve case closure, which means reunification with kids or reunification into a safe, stable custodial relationship with a co-parent, whatever it may be, if we can do that 410 days sooner than a regular Chins case, it's that's incredible. That that number lends itself to another question. I mean, what does that mean to families and kids and parents and caregivers to to get to a point like that that much quickly? I mean, that that means families get back together faster. That means life gets back to normal or some form of normal a lot faster. What does that number mean? That number is hard to quantify mm-hmm. um, in terms of what it means for the family. I'll tell you that obviously in family recovery court not only are we dealing with the parent we also have the kids and so unlike other problem-solving courts we've got a handful of people that Mm -hmm. we that we need to deal with their issues and so when we can get kids back sooner with the parents well how does that translate to how child's doing in school when we can get kids back sooner with their parents how does that look in terms of mental health Um, we know that the state of Indiana doesn't want to raise children. They are best with their parents. Mm-hmm. And so if we can achieve that, um, the, the, the benefits are like a ripple effect. I know that the last number that I looked at from the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, treatment courts um, produce benefits of $6,000 per participant for every dollar wow. invested. So what does that look like? $6,000 in terms of somebody being able to get a job and to support mm-hmm. their family. And again, those are just numbers, but in, in the end, if we can produce safe, happy families, it's, it's incredible. 
And, and that number you cited, and this may be a question for Keisha or, or you, Magistrate Hartzler, that number you cited about the, the value to the community, this program uh, really takes care of itself in many ways. This program is, is run from grant dollars. I mean, uh, the, a lot of the extra costs aren't being borne by the taxpayers. Talk about that a little bit. I'm going to let Magistrate Hartzler talk about that. I just want to piggyback off of mm-hmm. what she said, what those numbers mean. Um, if you really think about it and take it to heart, those numbers mean less people dead, less over fatal overdoses. Uh, that means less children in harm due to drug use. That means that we are literally saving lives. We have seen in our past that there have been children who have drowned from drinking and driving. We have seen there were children who have ingested uh, narcotics and died. We have seen those things. So this, these numbers mean that that is more lives saved. That is a, a less fatality. That's not a fatality that we have in our community. So that's, it's, that's important. We are pretty self-sustaining. With our program, we fortunately get to rely on the services provided by the Department of Child Services. And so when someone's referred to counseling or an assessment or inpatient treatment, whatever it may be, the Department of Child Services budget covers that. Mm-hmm. What we get for the court um, uh, is grant funding through the uh, Office of Court Services, otherwise Indiana Supreme Court, other sources of funding that we buy things like um, incentives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have what we call is court cash. And so when people reach certain milestones, they might get three bucks in court cash or five bucks or a dollar or whatever it may be. And then people can go to the, what we call FRC store and cash out their court cash. And they can get gift cards, they can get toys for the kids, personal care items, whatever it may be. So we use our money to get things like incentives. We also use um, grant money to buy um, 12 step books other resources uh, for for the families. We have the ability to try to help folks with maybe some unexpected expenses as well through that grant funding. And so we're constantly monitoring. It's kind of, I always think about, you know, sitting at the kitchen table with your spouse, looking at your budget, you know, what are we spending? How much do we have? And we're we're constantly doing that because we recognize that this is the people's money and we need to make sure that we're using it responsibly and so we're very blessed uh, to be able to do what we're doing with the help that we're getting can people with a a heart for recovery maybe people who've been there or had a family member who's been there can people contribute can people help out the program can people write you a check if they want to help support the program I think the best um, support that we see is developing a community um, for the participants to have after they complete the program. That's very important because once we, um, if you will, take our hands off, Mm -hmm. they're in the community and they're living. And we all know every day is a struggle. Every day is a different day with different issues and different things going on. And so if you have a heart, you know, join that recovery community and be a support support and help you know one person helping another that's what it means to me 
Yeah, I would definitely agree with what Keisha is saying. You know, of course, we live in the real world and, um, you know, money affects us all. But I think what makes the biggest difference is community, is support. Um, often the families that um, we encounter through the program, they're, they're going through that generational trauma. Um, and so sometimes the folks that they've grown up with or grown um or grown up with aren't appropriate. Um, they're not in recovery themselves. So through our program, they're building essentially a new family, um, you know, a, a family that is supporting their recovery. And that family is going to stick around after they graduate our program. And that's what's important. Um, you know, earlier Keisha mentioned Asha Dis with Project Me. She's a peer recovery coach. She's a person in recovery herself. So she comes to our hearings and she supports um, our moms and dads. And um, another person that we have come to court is Marvin Vassbinder. Um, He runs a faith-based program and we have a lot of participants that um, have built really great relationships with him and they go to his groups and they're playing in a band with him i mean you know these are ongoing and important relationships above all because we're not going to be in their lives forever um you know sometimes you get attached to folks and you want to be but we have to keep our professional boundaries and so that's when people like asha people like marvin people like nate mullering the community um steps up when we're out of the picture and that's what we want to see that's a success um when people you know through through our phases there's um a requirement that they attend pro-social or pro-recovery activities and that is so they meet um other people that are in recovery that will help them through their journey um and what's what's really nice and what's really a success in our eyes is when our moms and dads go to pro-recovery or pro-social things without us telling them to that's a success Mm -hmm. you know when you're not court ordered to do it and you want to do it Mm -hmm. um that tells me a person is really dedicated to their sobriety and their recovery so um you know all money aside what really matters is our community addiction is not a moral failure um it's a disease and i think as a community um we're being educated and you know with some diseases you can see that someone is ill you can see that they're suffering from something but with addiction it's often silent um and something Keisha always says is people don't know what they don't know and that's so true um and and that's you know a really eye-opening statement before FRC there was a lot that I didn't know about addiction there was a lot um, that I learned through the program on how to support people to be successful and to be in recovery so going off of uh, what Maya was just talking about um, one of our missions in this court is to combat the stigma of addiction and that's why things like this podcasts that get out to to the community to talk about what we do us to be able to say hey i know it's scary i know we're the courts Uh, i know you're not here for a reason that is fun that you want to be but at the same time we recognize that you are people just like us that you have uh, struggles and that we're here to help and like maya said it's not a moral failing nobody's perfect and we would want everyone in the community to understand that you're not less because you have a disease. You're not 
a bad person because you struggle with substance use. And we know that, and we want that message to get out, and we want people to understand that we're here to help. We're invested in people getting better. That is so important. I hear people a lot talk about, well, they should be in jail or this and that. And what I think about, which some people don't like to digest, but if you have a cancer patient, you're not going to put them in jail for smoking when they know they're not supposed to be smoking. You know, you have someone who has a disease that affects you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like any other disease. And once we embrace that as a community and understand that a lot of times this is like, like Maya said, generational. This is from trauma. This is something that someone needs help with. And I feel like it is our duty as people, as human beings to help each other, to help each other to get through those difficult times. So there's no punitive thing here. I mean, it's, it's a disease. It's, it's something that needs attention and help just like anything else, you know, and in substance abuse, just like in cancer, we want to put it in remission. I think something you just said is really worth repeating and especially as as the jail population issue in this county has is become a real challenge for the community. Family recovery court, drug court, veterans courts, all of these problem-solving courts that we have in this county are keeping people out of the jail. They are helping keep people out of the jail. They are helping to keep them from coming back to the jail because they are breaking the cycle that gets people there in the first place. Let's stop here with one final question. Maya said something interesting a minute ago, quoting Keisha, you, you said that people don't know what they don't know. Talk to the person, the family, the parents, the caregiver who might be coming into this program next week, next month, next year, why you want to be here, what you gain from it. You may not understand why you're putting all the work in now, but tell them why they're putting in that work and what, what it's going to mean to them and their family when the hard work's behind them. For people that considering the program, one of the things that we tell them is lean on us until you can stand up and do it on your own. The beginning is always rocky. We let our folks know that and I think Keisha mentioned this, we're not punitive. This is not an adversarial approach. We're here to help families heal and we understand that addiction is a disease. So with that approach, we want to let folks know that this is a program in which you can grow and you'll get the support that you need and then you'll be building on that recovery capital. You'll be building on your informal supports that is our goal. We're not here to punish. We're here to help. And that then trickles down to the children. Family Recovery Court is very parent-focused. And then we see this natural progression of healing kind of take place. And children are seeing their moms and dads make different choices. And so it's just, I mean, it's been healing from beginning to end for our participants and for us seeing that. We, we've gotten the opportunity to attend multiple conferences put on um, through the National Association for Drug Court Professionals. Mm -hmm. And we had a uh, speaker who was Dr. Robert DuPont. He was actually like a former White House drug officer, and he coined the term chemical enslavement. And I found that really profound. And he said, addiction is chemical enslavement. It is the only type of slavery where the person 
is paying to be enslaved. They're paying their drug dealer. They're paying their bartender. They are paying to be enslaved. And when you think about it that way, that is really profound. And that is why we have to step up as a community. This affects everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Your next door neighbor, you know, people that suffer from whether it's opioid use disorder, any kind of addiction, they aren't bad people. They're people with a disease, and we treat diseases with medications, with doctors, with therapies. It's not one approach. Mm -hmm. If you have diabetes, you may need insulin. You may need to change your diet. You may need to exercise. There's multiple approaches. So through our program, we know that recovery is not linear. It's going to look different for everyone, and we can tweak our programming or our therapies to meet those people's needs. Keisha, advice to future clients? It makes me think about a commercial when I was younger that I used to see. And I'm not going to say the place, but some of you may remember. But it said, if you don't get help here, get help somewhere. And that rings to me right now. It's like, you know, we have a wonderful life-saving program. And for those of you out there who are struggling, who are tired of being tired, and who you know that in your gut of guts that this is not the way you want to live, you know, I always say it's not what someone else thinks about you. It's not what society thinks of you. It's how you feel about yourself. How do you feel about yourself? If you feel like you know you need a life change, please, if you don't get help with us, get help somewhere. There are plenty of online resources. There are plenty of outlets and recovery people in the community. So I would just say that if you don't get help here, get help somewhere. Last word to you, Magistrate Hartzler. So for anybody who's just starting the program, I always tell them, slow and steady wins the race. That old fable, I think, that we used to read when we were kids. So you're going to come into the program. There's going to be three phases of treatment, multiple milestones within each phase. There's all these time frames. There's all these things you have to do. Everybody's journey is individual. And so like Maya said, nobody's recovery is linear. And so don't get overwhelmed. Don't think that you've got to get through the program in a certain amount of time to be successful. What we want to see is somebody actually benefit from, actually digest what they're doing, rather than just moving through it like a checklist. And so take advantage to maybe at first time in your life, slow down, pay attention to what your needs are, and take some time to reflect. I would also say listen to the other folks that are in the program. One of the reasons that these problem-solving courts are so successful is because court is held with all of the participants at the same time. And so somebody will get up before me and they'll have their three minutes in front of me about what their week was like. If that person is a year or a year and a half into the program, listen about their successes. Understand that they may have been where you were a year ago. And it's important that folks will celebrate milestones together. Um, they'll have words of wisdom for people. Also remember that don't hide from drug screens. That's information that we need about how somebody is doing. And so understand again, it's not punitive, this is rehabilitative. And I would also say for anybody in the program, I welcome anyone to come back as an ambassador to tell folks about where they've been, what their experiences were. And so I think all of that's important and it kind of goes back to the whole theme of a community. And so if you're joining Family Recovery Court, you're joining an incredible community in Allen County that is supportive of folks in recovery. This has been a really wonderful conversation. This is the reason why we're doing this podcast. Thank you for your time. 
you guys are saving lives and saving families and the community is grateful. So Maya Gergich with the Department of Child Services, Keisha Theory, coordinator for the Family Recovery Court and Magistrate Sherry Hartzler of the Allen Superior Court Family Relations Division. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been In Session, an inside look at the Allen County, Indiana Courts. You can find out more about this topic and many others at allensuperiorcourt.us. Thanks for listening. The next episode is coming right up.